pray, okay? We'll pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do give praise, glory, Lord, always thanks to you for the gift of this day, uh, the gift of our faith, the abundant ways, Lord. We know in humble confidence you do pour forth your love, your mercy, your generous goodness upon us each and every moment of uh, each and every day. We ask, Lord, that you open our hearts and our minds to this time, Lord, for you are in the eternal present. Uh, we meet you most perfectly in the present. Lord, open us uh, widely to whatever it is you desire us to receive here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. St. Therese, pray for us. You know, my friends, uh, I just always get a little chuckle at God. I, Since Father was preaching, I... Uh, uh, don't judge me, but I didn't actually look at the readings before Mass. And as he's, uh, uh, as the deacon was proclaiming the gospel, I was just really uh, moved by how the Lord is always uh, intimately involved in our lives. And, and uh, I was just praying as he was proclaiming the gospel, uh, uh, that's uh, a very good gospel for me. I think it's probably a good gospel for us. I've had a lot of storminess in uh, my mind and in my heart. Uh, and it's only when I got more fully in the boat, let's say, uh, in the church. Uh, I've never been really outside the church, but uh, when I embrace, as Father is beautifully preaching about, the reality that I am loved, that uh, Christ uh, desires to be with me. And it's so interesting that the Gospel writers, uh, when they use this expression, go to the other side, they're speaking about something supernatural uh, that has uh, just occurred or is about to occur. And so uh, Mark did use that at the beginning of today's gospel. And something, please God, is supernatural, ha- supernaturally happening in all of our lives. Amen? I know it's happened to me, uh, happened that the Lord, uh, well, how silly would it be that he calmed the storms on the Sea of Galilee and he cannot uh, calm the storms of my own heart and mind. How silly would that sign have been if I did not receive the future grace that it was pointing to the reality that he desires all of us to have peace and joy. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that little uh, prayerful moment from today's Mass. You know, uh, I owe you my vocation. I don't say that uh, just to try to get some flattery here. (laughs) I mean, it's true. I would not be standing here before you if it were not for this prayerful group. And so uh, I really owe you uh, my joy. I owe you uh, any uh, happiness that I have now because I'm finally discovering who I am. You know, um, I, we, I went to a uh, uh, priest retreat uh, recently, a couple years ago now, and uh, the uh, retreat master, uh, I'm trying to find this quote, um, perhaps someone can help me, but he said that Pope Benedict, when asked about the homily, to try to define it, he uh, didn't lead off by speaking about Jesus or speaking about uh, what you might expect him to do about God and all of those important aspects of a homily. He said the purpose of a homily is to remind the people of God who they are. Because we have forgotten Many of us do not know. Many people that you uh, encounter each day out in the world do not know who they are. They do not know that they are loved. 
And I can tell you, if it were not for your prayers, I would not have discovered that. Re- well, I could have. I'm sorry, I could have discovered another way, but I would not have discovered it through uh, the priesthood. And so I am very grateful for you and for all the members uh, that pray for seminarians, because it's become becoming a priest, a seminarian, and, and now priest that I have discovered uh, who I am and that the Lord has given to me, as he has given to you, a particular part of his salvific plan. Do we know that uh, a, part of God, a, a part of God's goodness, truth, and beauty is manifested only in you? If you were not created, if I were not created, there would be a part of God's truth, beauty, and goodness that would not have been manifested. That is why he created us, so that we could manifest his truth, beauty, and goodness in a particular way, in a unique way. And so I do thank you uh, uh, for my vocation because it has helped me discover more perfectly who I am. You know, when I was in uh, eighth grade, I get back from my CCD class. I was at Holy Spirit in, in, um, in uh, Springfield, and uh, I wasn't all that faithful of a Catholic kid. And anyway, I went to my sister's room, and I said, you know, I have to uh, pick a saint. What did you do? <laughs> and my sister kept her name. I said, what a great idea. So St. Richard it is. Uh, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But uh, that's kind of the going through the motions, faith journey that I began my life on. But only later did I discover that St. Therese uh, was stalking me. I have often wondered how early uh, this relationship occurred, surely at my conception, but um, I didn't really discover her. I discovered her by accident. A friend of mine had said that... uh, that uh, Cardinal O'Malley, um, at, the t- at the time he wasn't the Cardinal Boston, but he was going to be giving a talk on uh, the little flower. I'm like, who's that? And uh, anyway, so uh, I went and I heard this talk, but we thought it would be really crowded, so we got there early. I didn't know how to pray before the Blessed Sacrament, so I picked up all these brochures in the back <laughs> so I'd have something to do while I sat before the Eucharist as we waited for this talk. I don't remember even one word I talked, but I do remember taking that novena home, the novena to St. Therese, and putting it in my lap drawer of my desk at home. Only discover it a few years later when I was, well, struggling with a job uh, decision. I had been uh, unemployed for a while. I was doing some independent consulting, and I uh, had a job offer, but it was just not sitting well with me. And all of a sudden, I came across this novena to St. Therese. came across this novena, and something in my heart says, you've got to pray this thing. Just ask the Lord to have Therese reveal to you if you are supposed to accept this job offer or not. Anyway, I did pray that uh, novena. I was told to turn down the job on Palm Sunday. So uh, the Monday afterwards, I was obedient. I'm military, so I know how to follow orders when they're very clear. <laughs> And uh, that was a clear direction from the Lord through St. Therese, turn the job down, and now I still have nothing to do. Uh, and so a couple weeks later, again in my prayer, I, uh, I realized that there's a lot of white-haired ladies in my church that keep telling me I'm called to be a priest. Are you, are you, one, are you praying about that, Rich? 
And I would say yes, which isn't a total lie, but when you pray with uh, your hands in front of any possible grace that the Lord wants to give you, it's really not an open heart and mind. So I decided to pray that Therese Novena again, take out these superpowers I had just recently discovered, and the super saint that uh, I would only much later discover uh, I don't, I don't say this in any braggadocio way, but I, I do think she loves me more than you. <laughs> in fact, I have never discovered a single person that she loves more than me. Maybe I'm just thick-headed, I don't know. Maybe I need extraordinary grace. Uh, surely that is the case. But she uh, really likes me. And uh, like, like that, perhaps you've read, Maurice and Therese, I, uh, I think I am in a similar sort of category. Uh, with her, uh, and I, I, I say that in all humility. So I pray this novena, and uh, because I didn't want to go to the priesthood, but I got tired of these people asking me if I was called. And so I prayed this novena, and almost immediately I started the novena, and almost immediately I got invited down to the Outer Banks with Father Fasano. And um, yeah, that's a killer. Uh, you know where <laughs> I didn't know that at the time, but. Um, Anyway, I uh, remember uh, I was up in New Jersey doing my consulting back uh, when I got the call from Father Mark Ivan. He was a seminarian then for Washington, a good friend of mine. And I remember hanging the phone up and says, well, I know I'm not going to be a priest now. No guy is going to give me a rose. And the ninth day of the novena was going to be down in the Outer Banks. And so, well, well, you're faithful uh, prayer warrior. So I prayed the novena all along knowing that I'm not called to be a priest. But I get to that ninth day of the novena, and I begin to get annoyed, which was really a surprising reaction. Remember, I began this novena to get the no. I began the novena to say, yes, you're called to marriage. You just haven't discovered her yet. And so uh, this was a surprising reaction that I'm getting a little annoyed at Therese. Where is my rose? We went to uh, dinner that night, and I, I, if there was a rose on the table mat, I would have counted it. If there was a plastic rose in, in the uh, uh, little vase in front of me, I would have counted I was looking everywhere for a rose. No rose could be found. And after dinner, we went to uh, some prisoner's house. Uh, they also had a house down there, and they invited us to dessert. If you've ever been to the Outer Banks, a lot of the houses are kind of upside down in the sense that the main floor is at the top. So we went upstairs and um, of course I'm a guy who went right to the kitchen <laughs> and I'm sitting in the kitchen uh, hanging out with Father Ivany and uh, some of the other uh, guys who are now priests for the Archdiocese of Washington and just hanging out with them and finally the hostess she said please come sit down and have a seat. So I went uh, to sit down and being the introvert I sit at the end of this couch it was one of these uh, giant L-shaped couches. I sat at one end. My buddy Mark sat at the exact opposite end. And when I sat down, I looked up and noticed right before me, I don't know how I missed this when I walked in, but was probably 24 red roses in a giant vase. And I immediately thought to myself, holy cow, I'm called to be a priest. And then again, a surprising reaction that I... I was filled with a certain amount of joy that uh, I did not expect. I didn't want this vocation. I didn't seek it out, but Therese pointed me to it. But the devil 
uh, went immediately on attack. Within seconds of me seeing these roses and embracing the possible reality of a priestly vocation, he told me, the devil did, that those aren't for you, those were for Father Rosano. She doesn't even know who you are. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They're not my roses. And then immediately the devil, the, the Lord went on to counter this attack from the devil. And remember, Mark is sitting all the way at the other side of the, this gigantic L-shaped couch. And immediately he said, hey, Rich, you see these roses? Nobody knew I was praying this novena. I didn't want anyone finding out and kind of manipulating grace. But Mark says, hey, look, Rich, look at these roses. And this is a, uh, uh, well, he's a manly man, right? He's not going to notice roses. Not that manly men can't love flowers, right? But you know what I'm saying. And so uh, he, then he leans over and he's looking at these flowers and he smells them. Hey, Rich, they're real. He must have said my name at least three or four times. And then I got the hint. Perhaps the Lord is actually calling me to be a priest. We left the next day, and I can tell you that part of my requirement in this novena was that I would have peace. That is not a normal emotion for me. And so uh, I got in the car, and I'm driving these two. They were deacons at the time, but now priests for the diocese, Archdiocese of Washington. And one of them was just getting ready. He, he told me this later, that I was literally seconds. It was on my lips. I was about to ask you, if you wanted to date my sister? The answer would have been yes. <laughs> uh, but before he could ask me that question, I told them about the rose. I told them about this surprising grace that I had received. And uh, then uh, they didn't know this, but I had another list in my head, all the reasons why this was a really bad idea that God had chosen poorly. I wasn't holy enough. I was way too old at the time, 43. And so I had this long list, and one by one, you probably think you're too old. Uh, we have guys much older than you studying for our diocese. You probably think you're not holy enough. You aren't. He went through the list. It's not your uh, priesthood. It's his that you will have the privilege, please God, of, of being configured to. And so, my friends, I did enter seminary. I applied in July. That is unheard of. Father would not accept an application uh, that late anymore. Uh, I got a special grace, I suppose, through Bishop Laverdi. And then I got to the seminary. And we, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. That first week of orientation, it's just like the no responsibilities. You're just hanging out with good guys. You're praying. No class. It was awesome. You have to play a lot of sports. I realize I'm a lot older than these guys, but uh, it's okay. Uh, wisdom sometimes can overcome a lot of things when you're uh, young and stupid. Anyway, I, uh, then we started our philosophy classes, and now I was in a panic. You know, I hadn't been in school in many years, more than 20. And, um, well, that's not true. I went to MBA school. But anyway, it had been a long time since I had sat down in a classroom, and now I'm here studying all these difficult uh, philosophers. This is not in my wheelhouse, let's just say. I'm a numbers guy, let me uh, crunch some numbers, but uh, try to figure out uh, who I am and all that stuff. This is stuff that you know, these philosophers sort of people do. And so suddenly I was in a panic. 
And then we had to go into our 40-hour retreat. And so I uh, went into this uh, silence for the first time in my life. Never been silent in my life. I'm an introvert, but that doesn't mean I have silence. I'm surrounded by noise. And I go right before in the retreat, I call my buddy, Father Swank, who was there when I got the rose. And uh, I said, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I can endure six years of this. I'm already uh, panicking. And he gave me the best advice uh, up, up to that time I had received. He said, Dyer, suck it up and be a man. You're, you're going to be there one year. The discernment for this year has already happened. You can discern whether God's calling you to be a priest after this year. And I thought that was really very good advice. And so I went into the holy, uh, these 40 hours of uh, silence, and they offered these priests for, uh, for uh, confession, I thought, but it was really more spiritual direction. The guy I got in his line, I was wondering why I was taking it. These guys, 20 minutes a person. Um, but uh, I got in that line, and I, I talked to Father Sweeney, and I told him about my panic. And he saw how old I was, and he's like, well, what did you expect? What kind of life did you lead before? And I kind of gave him my background. And he's like, you're living in your closet. You used to own a house. You're now living in a room the size of your bathroom. What did you expect? And then he asked me if I had done any meditative prayer. And I said, honestly, I couldn't tell you what that is. I was so ill-equipped for seminary. Anyway, he told me to close my eyes, and then he just, uh, in his beautiful way, uh, described the scene of me and him walking down the street. This is something my friends, all of us, can do. We can imagine ourselves walking with the Lord. And he and I were walking down the street. He's getting all of our senses involved in this beautiful description. I can remember it to this day. This little boy, his ball comes running, uh, rolling up by us, uh, some woman uh, beating the rug in her window, that someone was cooking, all the senses that were coming to, uh, to us as he's describing this. We get to this house, and he knocks on the door. It's just barely cracked. And we're kind of creeping into this house. Um, don't do that, okay? Uh, but we were in our imagination in this meditative prayer, and I see this woman... She has uh, got her back to us. She's working in the house. She's doing some chores. And then he uh, lightly knocks on the door, and she turns around as the Blessed Mother. And I, I can tell you, I almost completely lost it. You know, I uh, have become a very emotional person, but uh, at that point, I really wasn't. Uh, but I, the only thing that kept me together was the fact that Father Sweeney was sitting right there. Otherwise, I would have bawled like a baby. This is what our prayer can look like when we literally look uh, love in the eye. Uh, the Blessed Mother came towards me, and I didn't know what to do. <laughs> uh, Father Sweeney, of course, she gives him a big hug, and, hug and I'm, you know, calls him out by name, and I'm watching their uh, conversation kind of fiddling in my uh, nervousness as he's describing this beautiful scene. And then she turns to me, and like an idiot, I put out my hand, Oh, hi, Mary. My name's... <laughs> I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Rich Dyer, you know, military brat. You know, I don't know, I don't know what I was going to say, but I, she said, oh, I know who you are. And she gave me a big hug in this prayer. And uh, 
Well, then I did lose it. As I, you know, this is in 2006. I still get pretty emotional thinking about it to this day, 14 years later. This, my friends, is what prayer can look like. This is what a personal relationship with a God of mercy and love looks like. I had no idea that the Lord had called me into relationship, not just with him, but with the community, communion of saints. And especially the Blessed Mother, of course, but for me in particular, it seems like for you as well, this beautiful Saint Therese. You know that? I wish that was the last time I went to that bucket of grace, I, that I didn't need it, that I just coasted through seminary. But I can tell you, it did not get any easier for me. I received extraordinary grace every moment, really. Just not, I wanted to leave more than once, many times. I tried to leave, and one particular time, my first year, I had decided to leave. All right, Father Swink, I met your goal. I get to the end of this year, but after that, I'm gone. I had a good life before. It was comfortable. I know I'm called to be a priest, but, you know, I don't think it's a mortal sin to, to uh, drop out of the seminary. So, uh, anyway, I immediately had no peace. That, my friends, can be a sign that we're not headed in the right direction. Uh, just a little footnote. Um, so, well, I guess I got to go back to Therese, so I did one last time. And this time I got very bold. Please do not use me as an example. This is not how you are to pray, but this is how I prayed, okay? I asked for a white rose on the ninth day given to me by Ben Green. That's exactly what happened. Ben has, uh, well, he always had dip in his lip. He had a big beard. Ben is not going to give me a rose unless the Lord wants him to. That's exactly what happened. He gave me a white rose on the ninth day in the form of five white rose petals, perhaps a sign that I had five years left in seminary. You know, there's more to that story I'll tell you in a moment. But you know, I did survive seminary. I can't tell you I thrived in seminary. That's my prayer for every one of those guys on that little picture. Don't just survive, thrive. This is precious time. And they will only do that, my friends, if you continue with your prayer. And so in gratitude, I thank you on their behalf. You know that, um, anyway, many years later, I was, uh, once I, well, I should probably tell you the story of my ordination because you were uh, key to all of that. Uh, My father, uh, well, I was ordained a deacon on June 4th, 2011 in the Cathedral of St. Thomas More, along with my two other brothers, and it was wonderful. And uh, the next day I got to preach on, um, the, on the Ascension, and honestly, I'd never once thought about that great solemnity before. But because I had to preach and people were going to be listening, <laughs> I, I really had to pray about it. I prayed about it for months because I'm an introvert. And I don't like to be talking in front of people, and so I wanted it to not be horrible. And once I wrote this homily, I can tell you I practiced it, I'm not exaggerating, at least a hundred times. But do you know that the ascension is not where the Lord ascended into heaven and left us alone? The great saints tell us that he ascended into the sacraments. He ascended into the sacraments so you and I could have intimacy that you and I can truly encounter that God of love and mercy. We have people in our lives that do not realize this truth, that the most blessed sacrament is God himself, and he's waiting 
He's waiting for, we'll speak of that in the holy hour, he's waiting for an encounter. He desires us. He desires us. And he desires to transform us more perfectly in his image and likeness. And so, um, what was I talking about? (laughs) Oh, my ordination. Thank you. (laughs) See, I'm getting old, too. Anyway, so I got ordained a deacon, and... um, that was a Saturday. The first Friday after that was my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And so I got to preach in their little church in Precious Blood in Culpeper and uh, renew their vows at 50 years of marriage at the end of Mass. And then we had a party. Not a huge party, but we had a, lot, a number of friends and family members, of course, over. And my dad had been suffering with some back pain. I could tell at the party that as much as he was trying to enjoy himself, he was in a lot of pain. So the next morning, I uh, went over to him. I said, Dad, stop getting these cortisone shots. I don't know what this is all about, but you need to go to the doctor and tell him to find out what is at the heart of what is going on. Then I went back to Blessed Sacrament, where I was assigned for the summer, and I got a call one day. Can you join us at uh, Dad's doctor's appointment? I didn't honestly think anything about it until they told me it was the oncologist. And so I went to that appointment, and they told us that Dad had kidney cancer. He had a kidney cancer that had metastasized to his bones. And it metastasized to his uh, lungs, to his brain. It was literally everywhere. The doctor said he needed immediate surgery to uh, take uh, the pain away from his back because two of his vertebrae had literally disintegrated. And so uh, we were told that he probably had two or three years, uh, but it, you know, the, the surgery did help a lot with the pain, uh, although he was continued to be in pain. Anyway, so I go back to seminary for my final year. And uh, I could tell that my father started going downhill uh, a little bit more each week. And I was a little worried. I wasn't worried he wouldn't make the ordination, but I was worried that he would not be able to participate in it. And so uh, I, uh, at the uh, uh, encouragement of some uh, seminarian buddies, uh, I wrote Bishop Liberty and asked if I could be ordained early because I wasn't sure my dad would be able to fully uh, participate in the ordination mass if we didn't uh, go uh, early. And so I wrote that right before Christmas break. And on December 20th, I got a call from Father Bashista, the vocations director, right after daily mass one day was driving on these windy streets out uh, in Spotsylvania County, and uh, he's like, well, the bishop got your letter. He was uh, really impressed. And then he said, "Uh, if you want to be ordained early, and I interrupted him. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not making this decision. (laughs) The bishop has to decide. He says, well, Rich, he's letting you decide. If you want to be ordained early, the bishop is available on Tuesday. That is a quote. I almost ran off the road. Imagine planning your wedding in one week. Imagine planning your wedding with your future bride when you haven't yet decided that's what you want. (laughs) Uh, But I think if I was ordained in any other fashion, I probably would have found a thousand reasons not to walk down that aisle, to lay flat on the slate of St. Andrews where I was ordained on December 
27th, with my dad sitting right next to me in his wheelchair. It's probably the most intimate moment I've had uh, this side of Please God Heaven for him. Uh, talking to him, holding his hand during the ordination ceremony. Uh, and then we had a little party afterwards at St. Andrews, and uh, I uh, was able to give my dad the Holy Eucharist and my uh, priest's blessing at the end of Mass. Uh, but he was kind of tuckered out, so he was laying down. And then my mom and him went back to Culpeper for the night. Of course, we have our Mass of Thanksgiving the next day, and uh, Dad was too tired to come, and so they got some family friends from Culpeper to stay with him. Of course, Mom wanted to be at the Mass. So she came, and um, uh, I'm celebrating Holy Mass there in my dad's bedroom. They are uh, praying a rosary. They could tell he was uh, really struggling. So they started to pray the rosary out loud, and my dad became alert and said, shh, I'm trying to listen to it. They had no idea really what he was talking about, only that he was kind of looking around the room uh, at something that they could not see. They really felt that he had some special grace to be present at his son's first Mass of Thanksgiving. I can tell you he took his last breath the very moment I was processing down the aisle at St. Andrews. They, uh, they looked at the time because Tony saw I was getting close. He held my dad's hand, and in the other hand he had a crucifix, and he was praying. He's very charismatic. And he was praying uh, that the Lord would take him home. And he felt this great... Uh, heat, this energy uh, passed through his body from the cross hand to my father's hand. When it goes through his body, he's feeling his eyelids go uncontrollably up and down as if uh, something supernatural or something supernatural was occurring. Suddenly my dad was very alert. If you've been around someone that's uh, dying, they're not always got the best facial expressions, but now he had a beautiful countenance, his normal countenance, honest faith calling out for mom. Where's Justine? Where's Justine? I need to go. I need to go now. And then, please God, he went to the Lord. At that same exact moment, uh, I was uh, going down the aisle, but also the same exact moment, their young son, Andrew, just a kid dying of cancer, a very rare form of cancer. My dad and him were always buddies, but uh, they, uh, their friendship became really intensified when, when my dad also was suffering in this t- difficult way. Andrew was playing basketball down the street with the family friend, and uh, he picked up the basketball at that exact moment and said, I think Mr. Dyer just went to the Lord. Do we know that grace is moving and active in our lives, my friends? This is not unique to my life. This is unique in all of our lives. These little ways and these extraordinary ways in which the God of love and mercy is truly pouring forth his love and mercy on us in so many ways. You know, I thought Therese was done with me, but she was only just beginning. I was now a priest. I thought her job was seminarians, so I kind of ignored her. I'll be honest, I never really even liked her all that much. She's kind of, kind of a little sappy for me, uh, too sugary for me, I don't know, a little spoiled brat. I didn't understand her depth until very recently. You know, I, uh, first there was that Blessed Sacrament, I got stationed at St. Charles in Clarendon. And uh, I went down to Peru and had an extraordinary mission trip 
down there that really uh, helped me more perfectly embrace my vocation. And uh, as I was ministering in difficult ways, I don't speak Spanish. Uh, and so, uh, but I had some extraordinary grace there and I get back and I was truly happy. And I was wondering why. This isn't a normal emotion for me. I hope this isn't depressing. <laughs> but uh, it is becoming a more normal emotion. But I, I, all of a sudden, Therese kept coming up in my prayer again, like she had not uh, done in a very long time. And it's especially in particular relationship that I was struggling with. She kept coming up over and over again uh, that I am to respond as she did. We know the story of that uh, religious sister. There was such a pain for her. She made little noises or whatever it was. Some, you know how uh, community living can be very difficult at times. And this uh, religious sister, uh, whatever she did was annoying to Therese, but she didn't respond as I was with hatred. She responded with love. And I knew that I too was being called to that radical uh, sort of response because it was difficult. This was a difficult situation. And so I tried and I tried, uh, failing most of the time, but having some success to uh, respond in love. And then one of our small groups at St. Charles uh, told me that they were going to be reading a story of a soul. And uh, I always hated that book. (laughs) I hope that's not a scandalous to say, but I, again, I didn't really understand Therese. And I think it is not so unusual, I think, the first time you read it to think, eh, whatever. I mean, I don't know what the big deal is about Therese. This seems to be whatever. Uh, But I knew this was a sign from the Lord, and so I read it again. And this time it really overwhelmed me with uh, the reality of what this young woman has to say to a contemporary society, what that young woman had to say to this particular priest. Uh, One of the great graces I uh, had in that uh, second reading of A Story of a Soul was a great desire to replicate her trip to Rome. You know the story of when Therese uh, it was really started off as a diocesan pilgrimage to go give uh, honor, really, to the Holy Father on the anniversary of his ordination. And so uh, that the diocese was going, and it was her first real uh, trip outside of Lisieux. And so uh, she went on this diocesan pilgrimage, and she speaks of many of the cities that, that they encountered. I discovered later, uh, which makes sense, that she went to other cities, too, but... Uh, she speaks of 14 cities that she uh, visited along the way to Rome. And we, tr- we went to nine of those cities, and I can tell you, uh, and some other, couple other places as well, but there's much that Therese still has to say to me. We went to her birthplace in Alençon, France. I had not been there before. I can tell you I'd been in France five hours, and my two-week vacation could have been over after that so many extraordinary graces being in her childhood home, celebrating Holy Mass in a chapel built on the side of her next-door neighbor. They had these little townhouses, right? And so it was uh, right next door, and this altar shaped it. Uh, what well, had Therese there um, with uh, the... Uh, uh, had Jesus, the infant Jesus, the child Jesus, uh, with a cross of his holy face on it. Uh, recognizing that that's her title. In fact, I realized that when I got sent to St. Veronica's. My heart was broken that I was leaving St. Charles. 
But I knew this was God's plan when I got here and realized St. Veronica's veil is on the altar. And St. Therese, who has been guiding me all along, with Jesus' grace, of course, first to the most blessed sacrament, then to Charles Borromeo, and now here she changed her name. It was uh, Therese of the Child Jesus. But later she added, and the Holy Face. St. Veronica, the Holy Face, uh, Therese has drawn me here. And she drew me to Alençon, that beautiful home of hers, that uh, beautiful church just down the road where her parents were married, where she received baptism. And just extraordinary grace that we received there. Of course, we went to Lisieux and I got to go into her home, something I did not do shamefully the first time I was there. And I, I, sometimes I try to be overly pious and I'm like, no, I came here to visit Therese. I'm going to park myself right here in front of her uh, remains. And uh, I think it was a prideful moment, honestly, when I had gone years before. But this time I wanted to encounter her in just the normalcy of her life. And so we went to her house. And it was really a blessed moment to be able to, I don't know why, they shouldn't let us walk up these stairs, but the stairs of her Christmas conversion, shouldn't we have marked off these things or put plastic over them or something? The woman that was giving the tour, even she almost didn't even mention it. Uh, what an extraordinary grace. But that is the way I think it works sometimes with the Lord, that he's here in our, uh, well, in just the normal things of life. I'm just realizing I'm just out of time here, but uh, and I have said almost nothing of her. Uh, anyway, uh, I do want to say a couple more things since I s- teed up a few things. Anyway, uh, we went uh, to Lisieux, of course, then to Paris, uh, uh, following her path, and then she, we flew to Milan. She took a train. Uh, she went to uh, Bologna and Padua and uh, Venice. We didn't have time for that, so we went down uh, the west coast of Italy, uh, uh, through, uh, uh, ended up in Pisa, and Pisa was Saturday night. And so uh, it was a wonderful time there. I think we ended up getting a parking ticket. I just got that ticket six months later. Uh, anyway, I, uh, we spent the night there uh, in Pisa, and uh, when we were planning this trip, I knew the next morning would be probably the most difficult mass to organize of our trip. You know, when you're a priest, you can say Mass anywhere, but no priest wants to celebrate Mass in the hotel on, um, on a Sunday. We had said Mass in all these extraordinary places, but, ma- but uh, churches tend to be busy on a Sunday. So while Father Noah would not be denied, Father Noah, in helping organize this trip, he just looked at our plan. The next day, we were leaving Pisa. We're going to go to Florence and then Assisi. Um, so I just looked at the path and says, well, why don't we try this uh, city right here, Luca, see if they have an available mass. So we go to this little wall town. Sure enough, they would let us have Holy Mass there. They had a little side chapel and uh, just an incorrupt saint dead uh, 700 years. And uh, this uh, virgin uh, uh, Zita uh, had not known about her, but she's incorrupt. It was pretty uh, awesome to uh, celebrate Mass on the altar, literally over her remains. And then we prayed our holy hour. And this woman in this little church was so proud of her uh, beautiful church. She gave us these little brochures. I thanked her and I kind of set it to the side. And uh, after I completed my holy hour, I picked up that brochure and I was thankful that it was in English. And I'm uh, flipping through it. 
and I realized only feet for me was St. Richard. I had been, it's been on my to-do list for probably 10 years. Find something about St. Richard. He's your saint. The Lord works in our lives through the communion of saints in beautiful ways. You know nothing about him. I think the Lord got tired of waiting. (laughs) So he drew me in this seemingly coincidental uh, action to this beautiful church in this little town of Lucca to the burial place of my confirmation saint. My friends, I do think the Lord, I know the Lord is working in your lives in a similar sort of way. Uh, he does not reserve his extraordinary grace to Father Dyer. He uh, pours forth his grace in abundance. In fact, we uh, recently even had that beautiful the sower. He's literally throwing his seed of grace on all of us in such profound and beautiful ways. And so once again, I want to end uh, with, well, no, there's one more thing I have to say, <laughs> sorry. Um, we went to, uh, went to uh, CC, had some wonderful time there, went saw the Holy House in Laredo, and then we went on our way down to uh, Lanciano because I wanted to see the Eucharistic miracle there. I'll, I'll speak about that in the Holy Hour. Uh, but uh, on our way there, uh, Father Noah, once again, just found this little Airbnb uh, somewhere between those two cities. And um, by then, we had been together a week, and I'm an introvert. I hadn't had a moment by myself, so I kind of needed some quiet time. So uh, I just told the guys once we got to the Airbnb, I needed just to take a walk. Honestly, uh, I also needed to find some peace because Father Noah, uh, Noah Mori, He's really an extraordinary priest. And on our long drive, because the guys, uh, the two seminarians already knew me, they were asking him a lot of questions. And his answers were so brilliant, I was getting a little discouraged with myself. Well, I, was, I was praising God for this awesome priest. Um, I was not jealous one bit. But I can tell you I was a little frustrated that why can't I have such beautifully articulated responses to these questions? Why isn't my marriage plan not so um, amazing as Father Noah seems to be. Why uh, is he able to articulate uh, the priesthood in such profound ways? Haven't I been a priest two years long, or maybe three even? And so I was getting a little frustrated with myself, uh, and so I knew I needed to get before the Blessed Sacrament so the devil didn't have his, his way with me. So I went on a walk. I walked right to the first steeple that I saw, and uh, they were just finishing up um, adoration. They had, uh, this is how the word Lord works. He draws you to him, right? And uh, it's, I'm thankful that it, it wasn't the beginning because I would have felt obligated to stay longer. And honestly, I just, I needed to walk around. We'd been in the car all day. And so I get up um, after a few, after it was over, and I uh, see the Father Noah texting me saying that he went to uh, St. Anthony of Padua. And I said, okay, please uh, just text me the address. I'll meet you there. And so I did, and it was probably a 15-minute walk. And on my way there, I, uh, well, my normal way of walking is to look at the ground. This is, I'm being very vulnerable with you guys. <laughs> uh, I should look up more often. There's much to see in this world. Uh, anyway, I was looking at the ground. One of the things I uh, failed to mention uh, was that, uh, that one of the, I lost those white rose petals that Ben Green gave me. One of the most extraordinary gifts that I've received from the Lord. I had a physical, tangible 
evidence of his love for me and that he is working in my life, somehow I lost these things. And I was so sad about it. Um, and then I'm walking along the road between these two churches in this random city on this pilgrimage of St. Therese, and I look at the ground and I see one of those rose petals. They were not real rose petals, I forgot to tell you that, they were artificial. Uh, I'm sure some little flower girl had thrown them uh, on the ground on her way down Icy Chapel at the Mount, and they just failed to find five of them. Well, those five found my seat, and then I lost them. And then I'm not kidding, I found the exact type. I mean, they could have bought it in the same exact store. I will not lose this one. I can tell you, here it is. And then I realized, why is it so dirty? (laughs) Oh, you soiled the priesthood. That's not the message of this rose petal. This rose petal is not that I've not lived the priesthood out well, I realized only later that the Lord is telling me that he's called me to get messy. He's called me to be in the people's mess. He's called me as Saint, uh, I almost called him a Saint, uh, Fulton Sheen, he's got a Saint, at some point, right, to come down from that second story apartment and to be with the people, to be with them in their suffering and in their uh, well, I got, I'm a hot mess, and so are they, and so uh, he wants to use this hot mess to help y'all's hot mess to find uh, a God of love and mercy. Amen? Amen. All right.